the church behind barbed wire on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. Today on the podcast, I have with me Tom Sugimura. I'm so grateful for this brother. He serves as a pastor, church planting mentor, and professor of biblical counseling at the Master's University. He's the author of what our podcast is titled today, a book, uh, The Church Behind Barbed Wire. Also, Habakkuk, God's Answers to Life's Most Difficult Questions. He and his wife, Amanda, are raising their four children in Southern California. And I'm so grateful for Tom. We've just gotten to know one another uh, and getting to know one another better. I'm so grateful for his uh, work at our pre-conference this past year in 2021 at Hickory Grove. And uh, looking forward to introducing him more and more to uh, our certified members. Now, today we're going to do something a little different. I I enjoy history. I like to look back at the ways in which um, we saw soul care in the past. And guys, listen, if you look back in history, the church was the primary place that was viewed to do soul care. It was their task. Pastors were called physicians of the soul. And during a modern world, modern psychology certainly upended that idea. And Tom, today I want you to do something that's that's mixed into your heritage, your Japanese heritage, and, and talk about a time, a very stressful, difficult time of suffering during World War II. And I want you to talk about a couple of these uh, ways that we saw soul care during the Japanese-American internment of World War II. Now, I know that's maybe a little different, but what I want you to do is help flesh out and to show the beauty of in really difficult situations, the use of scripture in truly caring for souls. So first, let's just introduce most people, especially if you have public education like I do. I'm kidding people, right? I'm kidding. But maybe you don't remember what went on during World War II or between uh, Japan and America. So I want you to start there, Tom, if you can. So tell us what took place during the Japanese-American internment and why has it been helpful for you to research uh, in preparation for this book, The Church Behind the Barbar. Thanks, Dale. This is a topic that many people don't know about in history, but 80 years ago, on December 7th, 1941, Imperial Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, prompting the U.S. to join World War II. And then 10 weeks later, President Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which effectively uprooted 120,000 Japanese Americans from the Pacific West Coast, sent them to incarceration centers throughout the nation's interior, and they were essentially imprisoned behind barbed wire with soldiers' rifles turned inward. This was something that happened in America in the 1940s. And they lost homes, they lost businesses, farms, jobs, uh, but most harmfully, they Uh, experienced uh, great shame for their families. Many of them rarely ever spoke of camp except in whispered tones. My own grandma uh, remained bitter until the day she died. And so this began as a personal study. I just wanted to know more about my family's history. And then as I grew, I became a pastor, a biblical counselor, and I started talking to other people about these stories. And Every Japanese-American family, they have a story about the camps. Uh, My family, they were in Santa Anita and then Manzanar. And the internment is a historical event that everyone at the time thought was right, 
but almost everyone now admits was wrong. And so it teaches us to be humble when it comes to history. It teaches us lessons about the past that can help us treat people rightly in the present. And as a counselor, I started seeing the application for the care of souls, particularly in regard to racial and ethnic tension. There's been a lot of that these days. And so I found that by telling my story, it helped people to open up about their stories and and it helped me to learn how to listen better uh, as a counselor. And as we talked about, especially instances of unjust suffering, it gave people the freedom to uh, talk about those things. Well, and as we dive into this, a consistent thing that you see all throughout history is uh, when suffering abounds, you see lots of needs for counseling problems. Uh, The soul is in anguish. The soul is extremely vexed. And this is certainly no no different. Uh, But I want you to talk about some of the counseling problems that were brought about or that you started to notice as you researched this period uh, during the internment. Sure. There was definitely the loss of freedom. Uh, And so these Japanese-American families were taken from their homes. Some of them were imprisoned or or behind barbed wire for as many as three and a half months, the prolonged length of the war. Uh, They lost material goods. Uh, Think about the immigrant families that you know, how hardworking they are to make a life for their family. And all of a sudden, after 20, 30, 40 decades of trying to get a foothold in America, that's taken away and they have nothing. And so there was uh, the struggle of material loss. Uh, There was ethnic prejudice that was unleashed. Things were under the radar, but there were still problems. There were laws on the books which said that Japanese Americans couldn't become citizens or they couldn't own land. Some were even hindering immigration. And and so you have in California, uh, for example, a a senator that's running on the platform, keep California white. Uh, Not something that would fly these days, but this was something that was allowable in those days. And so all of that just came out in the newspapers, in the popular media, everyone from the president to the Supreme Court, there were pretty much in unison that the Japanese-American internment was justified, that it was the way for the Japanese-Americans to show loyalty to their country. Uh, And so those were some of the struggles that people faced. Uh, One of the biggest ones, as I talked to Japanese-Americans, is the destruction of the family. And, And so these fathers who were working so hard to put food on the table and to lead their families, all of a sudden the government is providing and they're in the camps and they don't know what's going on. And so so they're not working, they're not providing, they're not the leaders of their home. They're even losing some of the authority that they had because they're only Japanese speaking and their English speaking children are now doing everything for them. And mom's not cooking. So if the camp's providing the food, there's no meals around the dinner table. Families aren't eating together. Children leave the home at dawn. They don't come home until dusk. And so we see that the family unit was destroyed. Uh, And then we see that there was shame, there was bitterness, there was unforgiveness, especially among those who didn't have a Christian foundation. And also we see the silence of the church. Uh, We see that the non-Japanese church, although this was an injustice, Uh, There was mostly silence from those who were Bible-believing, those who claimed to have friendships with the Japanese. There was silence on the part of the church when they should have been saying what they needed to be saying. 
Now, a lot of times we talk about sin and suffering, and we talk about biblical counseling. We can apply the scriptures, of course, admonishing those who are in sin and then dealing with those who are, who are suffering. And as we describe the issues of suffering, we have categories like natural disasters and accidents and someone who has sinned against you. And so we're trying to help give encouragement and comfort during those types of sufferings. And in this case, we're dealing with something that is an unjust suffering. That adds a layer of complexity. And so I want you to talk a little bit about how the Japanese American church provided soul care for one another while they were facing this injustice. That's one of the joys of doing this study is, is seeing the way that God worked through his people. And one of those very tangible expressions is the ministry of Christian fellowship, just believers coming together, practicing the one another's. And there was the moment that these Japanese American pastors came to the camps, the first week they were there, they didn't moan, they didn't complain. They said, we need to start a church. And so they all gathered together and they had no hymnals and Bibles because they were uh, considered contraband Japanese language. They didn't have their pianos or choir robes or anything like that. And so uh, they all came together and they said, we are going to worship as one non-denominational church. And so what you have in each of the 10 camps, the relocation centers were non-denominational churches with Methodists worshiping with Presbyterians and Baptists and Holiness Christians all together under maybe the Apostles' Creed. And so we see the unity of the church in a time of suffering. And they're singing cherished hymns that we've sung for, for generations. Uh, they're remembering the, the faithful saints in church history. And, and so um, I love to see the ministry of Christian fellowship as it's played out as in the, in the Japanese-American internment. Uh, we also see the ministry of the word, both preached and counseled. There's a collection of sermons called The Sunday Before, and it was the Sunday before evacuation. And uh, we see that the way preachers in these Japanese-American churches minister to their congregations. I think of Lester Suzuki, and he's preaching in LA, and he says to his congregation, this building we've built with our own hands. We've raised the funds from our hard-earned labor. Many of you grew up here going to Sunday school. You saw your children married. You saw your parents buried here, and, and we're about to leave, and we have no idea when we may return. But he preached to them the, the ministry of the gospel, and, and he talked to them about the life of Abraham, uh, talked to them about the life of Moses. Uh, he brought to them uh, the faithfulness of the saints in the Babylonian exile. And, and this ministry of the word encouraged the people through both preaching and through counseling. Well, I think that's outstanding. And one of the things that it demonstrates to us is the power of God's word, that it, it is sufficient to help us no matter the circumstances, no matter the difficulty. And these types of testimonies are witnesses to us of the faithfulness of our God, of the power of his spirit by the word through periods of history. And these are things that ought to encourage us. And even in the Psalms, the scripture teaches us to uh, teach the works of our God to our children. And these are places and times where we see God's faithfulness in so many ways. Now, that was the Japanese American church. I want you to talk a little bit about the non-Japanese churches. You mentioned earlier that 
uh, some of them sort of turned a blind eye or really weren't that helpful. And uh, there's something to be said when churches turn their face away from human suffering and problems and uh, allow sin to run rampant. When we don't engage in soul care, we leave people vulnerable. That's the point. And we have to focus here. But I want you to talk a little bit about some of the ways that the non-Japanese churches uh, were helpful to these Japanese Americans. Yeah, we know that, that Christians are called to love in both word and deed. Uh, and one of those ways is, is we speak up for those who do not have a voice, Proverbs 31. Uh, we see that acts of kindness can open the door. As we're ministering to counseling, sometimes people don't respond immediately to the scripture. Sometimes an act of kindness will open the door to that. And so we saw that during the war. Again, the majority of churches, the majority of Christians were silent, but there were voices of protest. The handful of Christians, uh, mostly liberals or pacifist Christians, or those with a previous relationship to the Japanese American church, missionaries or pastors or those that were with them, they spoke out against the internment. There was also relational solidarity. I think of Emory Andrews. He was a pastor up in Seattle at the Japanese Baptist Church. And when his congregation was evacuated and relocated to Minidoka, Idaho, Emory Andrews relocated his whole family with them. And he moved from Seattle to Idaho. And he went back and forth. I think it was about 56 times on this big blue bus. And, and every time one of these families in his church wanted something from Seattle, he would go back and he would retrieve it and he would drive this distance just to show them that he loved them, that he cared for them. He would go in every Sunday and he would be a guest preacher in one of those camp churches. And, and so we see that there's that relational solidarity there. Uh, and then simple acts of kindness. I think of Miss Clara Breed. She was a librarian in San Diego. And in her library branch, uh, she is watching each of these little Japanese-American children come into her library and turning in their library cards because they know it's the last time that they're ever going to be able to go to this library for a time. And, and she had providentially ordered a bunch of self-addressed stamped postcards. And she began to distribute these to each of the children that were coming in. She said, when you get to wherever it is that you're going, you send me a postcard, tell me how you're doing, and uh, let me continue to correspond with you. And she corresponded throughout the breadth of the war. Uh, she encouraged them. She sent them gifts during Christmas. Uh, she reminded them that there was hope. And so we see that these small acts of kindness and these words of encouragement were ways that the non-Japanese church stepped up and ministered effectively. Yeah, what a testimony. And I teach a course, Tom, on the history of soul care. And I teach my students in the very beginning the value of looking back into history. And there are stories just like this that help us to see blind spots that, that all of us may be privy to in the culture in which we live in. And we have to be cautious that the, the word constantly has to refine our heart and mind and soul. And there's so much that we can learn from history. Two of the things out of many, many points that I teach my students we can learn from history are patterns that we ought to emulate and practices that we need to avoid. And we certainly learned some of those things in this story. And I, I want you to help us to understand what lessons can we all learn about ministry to hurting people in our world today from this time period. I, th I think what we can learn is that the same tools of soul care are applicable all throughout history. 
I love your book, the, the Church is a Culture of Care, because it reminds us that, that the church is a ministry. And so we see that, that that soul care ministry is the same, whether it's the 1940s or whether it's today. And we see that the same truths of Scripture apply in every area. Uh, Romans 15.4, we see that that hope ministers to people in, in suffering at all times. Um, as counselors, we start by listening to people's stories. Uh, we have compassion. We have empathy. We care for them. We we help them to process through the the areas of their stories that might need refinement, uh, and then we help to connect them to the the gospel story, the meta narrative of Scripture, and we help them realize that they are created in the image and likeness of God. We help them to realize that uh, they're being held accountable for the way they look or their ethnic heritage is a product of the fall. And it's always been the case uh, all throughout history that we have divided over ethnicity or culture or language or socioeconomic status. But we bring them then to the, the story of redemption through the cross of Jesus Christ, that, that these sins can be forgiven and this suffering can be redeemed. And one day, we're headed to glory where all of these things will be no more. And so uh, we want to listen to people's stories, and then we want to help them reframe those stories within the gospel narrative. Amen. And I think you've done a, a really good job of helping us to see that through periods of history and the applicability of uh, and the timelessness of uh, our God's revelation to us and that we need to continue applying it in every circumstance that we have in the modern. Uh, Tom has written this book, The Church Behind the Barbed Wire, and I want to encourage you to uh, get this book. I think it would be something that would be helpful for us to read real-life stories of suffering and difficulty, but where we see the Scriptures relied upon and care for those who are even in difficult places and suffering unjustly. Tom, thank, thank you so much for your work here. I really appreciate that, your, your duties in history, but seeing the biblical vitality that we see throughout history. Dale, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I want to take an opportunity to recommend to you our counseling and discipleship trainings at ACBC. These CDTs we offer both fall and spring. I want to tell you about our upcoming CDTs for our spring 2023 lineup in Austin, Texas, Bardstown, Kentucky, and also Moore, South Carolina. And so I want to tell you in Austin, Texas, the first weekend is January 27th and 28th. In Bardstown, Kentucky, we're going to be there starting March 17th and 18th. And then in Moore, South Carolina, March 24th, to 25. And that's three weekends where you will be trained in our fundamentals training through ACBC. And so I want to encourage you, if you've been hoping to do some training and that's in your area, we love uh, to do live training with you in close proximity to us. We enjoy that type of training. And so we're coming to locations near you and we pray that you'll be involved three weekends in the spring, starting at the dates that I mentioned in Austin, Texas, Bardstown, Kentucky, and more South Carolina. To find out more information about our counseling and discipleship trainings, the fundamentals of ACBC, go to biblicalcounseling.com. Mm-hmm.